This episode of Lockdown Conversations was recorded for the midweek gathering in Jared's Pass and Kings Mills Presbyterian Churches. So we really hope that you enjoy this conversation uh, between Reverend Brian Key and Jamie McGuire talking about the mission of the church. Good evening, Brian. Uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us here for our midweek in Jarrett's Pass and Kings Mills churches. Um, obviously, I know you and, and you and I have done a wee bit of this recording before, but there might be some folks in Kings Mills or Jarrett's Pass who don't know who you are. Would you mind uh, introducing yourself for us and telling us a little bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian Key. I am the Minister of Sandy Street uh, in Newry. Um, a bit about myself, I'm married Louise with three kids. Uh, I live in civilization at the top of the hill. Jimmy, you're down there somewhere in the bottom. I don't know what happens way down there in Sirs Pass, but we're up here in civilization on the top top of Sirs. Very good, very good. Well, uh, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to do this and and, uh, have this conversation with me, Brian. I I want us to talk about mission tonight um, and specifically the mission of the church, the mission of God's church on earth. So I'm going to start us with a scriptural passage, which uh, many people will go to when we think about mission. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 28. So Matthew 28, I'm reading from verse 16. God's word says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Well, Brian, let's start with very basic background to this passage. Um, who is the passage being addressed to in Matthew chapter 28? Um, well, <clears throat> I think in verse 16 there it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So uh, it's pretty clear he's talking specifically to the disciples at that point, which he would soon become the apostles. Um, but that, that seems to be who Jesus is uh, particularly addressing this passage to. And does that does that make a difference for us from perhaps Jesus addressing a multitude of people? Do you think? Um, well, it's really interesting if you if if you consider the history of how this passage has been interpreted. Um, if you read someone like John Calvin, for example, um, you know, 16th century. Uh, Calvin will say this applies only to the apostles. Okay. It doesn't apply to us at all. Um, then you get into the 19th century and William Carey and the modern missionary movement. And all of a sudden, this passage reply, uh, applies to every Christian. Okay. Um, so how, you know, who was right? Was Calvin right? Was Carey right? Uh, what happens? Um, in a sense, I think... what. Originally, yes, it was addressed to the apostles. Um, so 
But who were they? Are they the disciples at that point? They were the ones who were going to begin the church. Mm. They were the foundation uh, pillar, the foundations of, of the, the church. They were the ones who were going to take everything that Jesus had commanded them. And they were going to be the ones who would teach others. They were his official witnesses. Um, so in a sense, this uh, passage does specifically relate only to the apostles. But in another sense, of course, if we read it uh, in its entirety, this uh, so-called Great Commission, um, it applies to the church right across all the ages. So if we are part of the church, well, then, yes, it is addressing us in that sense. Okay. If that makes sense, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's, that's helpful. So I think what you're saying is Calvin and Kerry were both right yeah. um, in a way. Um, the apostles, or the, the disciples as they are here, who would go on to become the apostles, are receiving this, this commission, as it's come to be known, from Jesus as representatives of the church, as those who would um, carry out this work initially and then pass that work on uh, to those who were to come after them. Um, well, I suppose I want to ask you something about what exactly Jesus is telling us to do here. Um, I've said I want to talk about mission tonight, um, and this is a passage that we can agree in some sense relates to mission. And you spoke about William Carey and how he used it for the great missionary movement of the church in, in the 19th century. What exactly is Jesus telling us to do here when he says um, that we should make disciples of all nations? And, and how is it that we are to make disciples of all nations? Yeah. I, I think the way I'd answer this is, is the Great Commission is a call to church planting. Okay. Um, because how is it that... Um, you know, these 11 disciples who would then become 12 with Matthias and then Paul 13, um, uh, when he goes to the Gentiles, um, how is it that they are going to carry out these commands of Jesus? Well, what's required is churches. And if we read the Great Commission along with all the rest of the New Testament, mm. um, what you find is... Uh, the church or the apostles go out and what do they do? They, they start to preach and what happens? People come to Christ, but that's not the end of the story. They're all organized then. They're put into fellowships. They meet in homes. Mm. They come together and devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the prayers, the fellowship. Um, so in a, in a sense, they begin churches. Now, those churches begin in houses, but eventually it, it expands out. Um and begins in Jerusalem, spreads out to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Mm. And here we are today. Um, you know, but the big thing that is required here is, or Jesus is asking for, is for the disciples to go out and reproduce themselves uh, and uh, plant churches in order for, to be able to make other disciples. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful because I, I, I think that often when we hear this passage, when we, we think about this passage, we, 
we have in our mind this this image of of the kind of lone wolf missionary, uh, someone forging out on their own and uh, you know uh, making converts for Christ and then moving on to the next convert. But but you're saying there's there's something slightly different going on here, and that those converts are to be organized into churches, and that this idea of a, a lone wolf missionary maybe is something more akin to a church planter or maybe even a minister is, is what we're suggesting here. Um, and I think that it's, it's helpful to look at precisely what Jesus says making disciples means. It means baptizing and it means teaching people to observe things, teaching people to observe all things that Christ has commanded. And of course, we know where baptizing and teaching takes place. It takes place in the church and it takes place, interestingly, in worship. It takes place on a Sunday in public worship. And so there's not a disconnect between mission and worship, but in fact, the two are connected. Am I right in saying that? Is, is that how you would read the passage? Yeah, and all you've got to do really is, is ask yourself the question, does this passage apply directly to me personally? And then you got to go, well, how many people have I baptized? Well, if you're not a minister, you're in a big problem yeah. because you'll not have baptized anybody. Uh, how many of us have taught everything that Jesus has commanded? Well, you know, I, I haven't done that yet, Jimmy, have you? No. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it isn't possible for one person to fulfill everything that Jesus requires here. It is given to the whole church. Yeah. Um, and it requires the whole church in order to carry it out. Um, it can't simply be just one person. Um, it's a commission given uh, to the church. And the making of disciples here is in the context of being part of that fellowship where there are people who teach, there are people who baptize, um, and, and baptism here specifically is to do with joining it, becoming part of it. Yeah. So it's that entrance idea, you come, you become, you know, you were on the outside and you're baptized and now you're on the inside. Mm. You're part of this, you belong to this. And when you belong to it, well, what happens to you? You're taught. Yeah, yeah. Because a disciple is more than a convert a disciple has to live under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to learn how to do that. He's not out a bit for us. That's, that's really helpful. A, a disciple is more than a convert. Yeah. Are disciples made then? Uh, <laughs> disciples are made um, by, you know, being called to faith in the Lord Jesus. So yes, conversion is the beginning process. But I think where a lot of people go wrong in this is that, is that they assume that's, the, that's also the end point. You know, what the, what the church's is mission is, is to go out and get people saved. Well, of course, we want people to be saved. Yeah, amen. But do we want them to be left there? Of course, yeah. No. Um, because, you know, you want them then to live as a Christian, not just to be a Christian, but actually live as a Christian. And... <clears throat> Maybe it, in some ways for people who have grown up in a, in a church environment, we tend to assume a lot of stuff that we've just absorbed 
in the fellowship that we've grown up in and the, the background that we've grown up in. But if you think of someone who has no church background whatsoever, um, and they, they hear the gospel, uh, they hear the call to faith and repentance, uh, and they do savingly embrace Jesus Christ as their, as their Lord and Savior. But they've had no none of the background of, of, of growing up in the church or anything, those, those kind of things. How do they know what to do? Yeah. At that point. Um, so they need to be taught. Yeah. They're baptized, they're brought into the fellowship, and they're taught. And you instruct them and, and we teach them what Jesus has commanded, and we teach them how to live as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there are certain things that you do and there are certain things that you don't do. You know, there's commands out there that have to be obeyed. There's a there's a path to follow, a way to walk in. That kind of thing. That's that's really helpful. That's that's really really useful. And um, so I think, in a sense, what I'm hearing here, what I'm learning myself, even from from talking to you about this, um, in one sense, I find it this is freeing for us as Christians because you're saying this is the work of the church it's not my responsibility to save everybody and uh, you know in my social circle or, or every non-Christian that I come across it's not my uh, you know burden to carry this is something that God does through the church uh, but you're also I think setting a high bar when it comes to what's required in terms of these people who are converted to Christianity, because it's not just a conversion and then leaving them standing. But again, it's the responsibility of the church to disciple that person and to mold them. Um, and, and we're saying clearly from this passage, they come into the fellowship of the church through baptism and they are molded and discipled through the teaching ministry of the church. Uh, through the preaching ministry of the church, that regular what what the the Westminster documents call the ordinary means of grace, and um, we we know that God does extraordinary things through these ordinary means, so that they look ordinary from the outside, but something extraordinary is going on inside a person, and and, and that is that weekly. So rather than, than the instant of conversion, it's a weekly, lifelong process um, for, for the, the disciples, uh, those who are being discipled, should I say. Um, I, I, I want to... Um, well, let, let, me, let, me, let me just... Go ahead. Just before you go any further, Jimmy, is, is to ask the question, okay, um, when, when it comes to being a disciple, when does being a disciple ever end? Uh, and when you think in those terms... Yeah. You know, it ends basically at death. Mm. You know, so, so when you become a Christian, you enter into this life yeah. of following Jesus. It isn't a six-week course that you do, and then all of a sudden you're a disciple. Um, you're a disciple for your, for your life. Yeah. You have to walk with the Lord Jesus for your life. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think um, something that helpful there is that we are to think of ourselves as disciples of Jesus. We're to remember that we're disciples of Christ. Um, maybe I've heard in other places, and it's almost talked like we are disciples of 
the person through whom we came into membership of the church, maybe that friend or, or maybe an elder in the church or, or uh, the minister or just an older Christian, someone who's there to, I suppose, in a sense, maybe mentor us in the Christian faith would be the language used. And it almost sounds like we are their disciple while they are being discipled by someone else. Um, but actually we are disciples of Christ as we are ministered to through his word and his spirit Sunday by Sunday in, in public worship. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's a helpful distinction to make. Um, I, I want to roll back a, a little bit and, and I want to sort of ask you, what would you be saying then? So, okay, discipleship happens through the ministry of the church well, what is the responsibility for the person in the pew, for the every member of the church? What, what's, what's the responsibility in terms of um, fulfilling this, this great commission? Um, not everybody's going to go out and plant a church. Not everybody's going to do that. We, we pray that the Lord would send people to do that uh, on the island of Ireland. Um, but not everybody's called to that. What's the responsibility for the person in the pew? Yeah, uh, um, I, I tend to, to, to go to Paul's metaphor of the body. Um, and not, not every member is the same. Not every person plays the same role or has the same task. And yet everybody works as part of the greater whole of the church. Mm-hmm. So um, whereas, you know, the, the person in the pew is being discipled. Okay. Um you may or may not be involved in discipling others, uh, but you are being discipled. Um, and so in, at one level, your role is to be discipled, yeah. to learn, um, uh, to allow Jesus by his word and spirit uh, to sanctify you by his word, the truth, um, and allow your mind to be renewed, your heart to be changed, um, your the way you live to, to be influenced by him um, and, and that is essentially you know what a disciple is, is going to be. Now if we take it a wee bit further and say right well what does that mean in practice? Uh, it, it means attendance at worship for, for a ver- the most basic level <laughs> at the most basic level you could possibly take it you, you need to be there to hear the word of God. Yeah. Um, and to worship with other people. Uh, you need to be there to encourage other people in the faith who are maybe having a difficult time, um, to be able to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, um, encourage those who need it, uh, and so on. Um, and to be able to use what you know gifts that the Lord has given you in service to the greater mission of the church, to see other people discipled and brought into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe you want to zero in on some of that, Jimmy? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's, that's hugely, hugely helpful. And um, I think, you know, I'm even thinking about parents mm. and we've had those conversations about family worship um, and the, the, the parental responsibility in terms of um, disciple making and, and, uh, not only presenting themselves 
for public worship, but making sure that their children are there as well. Um, that's that's a really important thing, and um, and dealing with those issues that come up in public worship, dealing with those in the home, and and, and engaging in daily uh, worship, family worship uh, in the home as well. Um, and and what you've said also about um, the you know weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn, and, and I think um, that that level of gospel hospitality um, and and encouraging one another I think that's something that we do quite well in this part of the world um, I, I certainly have seen it done less well in other places but here uh, in Kings Mills and Jarrett's Pass I think I see it done very well there's always room for improvement I guess but I think I'm seeing that done well especially with all of the difficulties that we're in at the minute and the, the level of um, fellowship that's been stripped from us by not being able to gather in person. Um, I, I think I'm still seeing people um, do a very good job of encouraging one another. Um, I, I, I maybe want to zero in on what you said towards the end there in terms of using our gifts uh, maybe even using our situations and circumstances uh, to reach out to the lost, to reach out to those outside the church, those who are, could we say, not yet saved. How would, how would you encourage someone to do that? We're, we're not all, again, we're not all those people who have the ability to... Um, articulate or to, to, to speak really um, great words about the Christian faith. Maybe some of us have a, a quieter disposition, a quieter manner. Um, how, how can we use our life circumstances to reach out to those who aren't yet Christians? Yeah, um, be the servant of others and do everything possible so that you can get them to come to church. Uh, Second uh, Corinthians 4 sorry I'm going to have to look it up can't remember it off the top of my head um, forgive me folks we'll always forgive you for uh, for reading the Bible Brian don't worry we're, we're happy with that um, yeah for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake as Paul, um, you know, <clears throat> we are serving others for Jesus' sake so that they will come to know Jesus. And, yeah. you know, uh, the, the person in the pew who, who wants to be a missionary who, in, in their own patch, in their own place, um, the, the big thing to do is the people who you know, maybe other, it could be family members, um, is to be willing to serve those people to such a degree that when you ask them to come to church, they have no choice but to come with you um, because they, they recognize that you love them so much. Um, and, and I think that, you know, for the person who is not going to be a, a great preacher or a great orator or a great anything like that, who, who feels so uncomfortable with that, well, the big thing that you can do is, is you can love your neighbor mm. to the extent where on the day you get the chance to say, look, 
there's a, ga- a group of us are, are, are going to church here on Sunday morning. Why don't you come along with us and sit with us? Yeah, that's really helpful. And I, and I think it's helpful, especially for those, those quieter folks. Um, and it, basically what we're saying, I suppose, what you're saying and you're, you're putting responsibility onto me and yourself and you're saying we're the ones who feel called by God. We, we've been called by God and ordained into the role of preaching the gospel. Yeah. That's, that's the role that God has given to us. So people shouldn't burden themselves with that rule, but they should serve people so much that they will come to church and hear us preach the gospel. Yeah. There is a sense in which, you know, uh, every Christian is called to be a witness. We'd use that language. Everybody must bear witness. And in the New Testament, it's, it's uh, martyrion, where, where we get martyr from, to give our lives for the sake of, of witnessing to Christ, mm. Before, you know, whoever uh, wants to gain his life must lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will find it, says Jesus. Um, we're giving up of our lives for the sake of others, so that they too will, will know. Um, but when we use the language of evangelist, the person who is there to persuade, uh, to proclaim, to preach. Mm. Um, that's a little bit of a narrower definition, I think, in the New Testament. Not everyone will do the work of an evangelist. Okay. But every Christian is to do the work of, of witnessing. Witnessing by lip and life. Um, you know, that is what we're called to do. But, you know, Jimmy, you were ordained as minister in Kings Middleton Jared's Pass. The church has set you apart for this task. Part of that role is to be the evangelist. Same for myself and Sandy Street. Yeah. Um, leaving aside how well we were able to do that, but that's the <laughs> point. Um, but uh, you know, we, we have been sent, we have been commissioned, we have been set apart by the authority of the church to say, this is your role, is your task. Yeah. The task for the person in the pew is not necessarily to be the evangelist, it's to be the witness. That's so sometimes it's helpful to make that distinction because it, it leaves it you know it, it takes a great burden off people's shoulders um where you know <laughs> i'm traveling well back in the days when you used to you know travel to work on the bus or whatever or the train and uh you know you're sitting beside person you're thinking oh no what am i going to do how am, how am i going to witness to this person uh you know and, and get all up tight um i think you, you can free yourself from that yeah if the conversation happens brilliant to have the conversation but um Ultimately, the evangelist um, is a bit of a more narrow role than, than simply to be a witness. That's really good. Thank you. Yeah, that's really, really uh, useful, that distinction. Um, I want to move us on a, a little bit here, Brian. Look, we are Presbyterian ministers. Um, we are unapologetically Presbyterian. Um, I have subscribed as of you to the Westminster Confession of Faith we have said it is our confession of faith um, and I even meant it uh, whenever I said that whenever I took those vows uh, in church just over a year ago um, but the Westminster Confession of Faith is quiet on the topic of mission um, 
is it quiet? I, 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 I suppose I'm asking that as a question. Um, and, and as a supplementary question to that, do Presbyterians not care about mission, if that's the case? <laughs> uh, wow, um, what a question. Uh, uh, yeah, th- there has historically been, uh, you know, people who would criticize the Westminster Confession of Faith because it, it doesn't include a chapter on mission. Mm. Um, and yet, chapter one of the Confession, when it talks about Holy Scripture, will say that Scripture must be uh, translated into the vulgar tongue of the heathen, i.e., vernacular languages um so that others may hear if that isn't a missional statement well i don't know what is Mm. because you know that 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 basically guarantees preaching in in the language that people will will understand yeah yeah um so so right from the get-go in a sense the whole thing is is framed in such a way that what the confession wants the church to do is to make known the truth. Mm. Um, I, I, I would argue that the confession doesn't need a chapter on mission because um, the purpose of the confession itself serves the mission of the church. Okay. Um, if I could put it that way, because why do we have the confession? Well, well the the mission of the church continues generation in, generation out. Yeah. You know, when we're all dead and gone, Jimmy, and um, you know whatever the word looks like, and you know a hundred years time, the church will still have a mission. Yeah. And it'll still be carrying it out. We'll not be about. But just because we're not here, don't mean it's, it has stopped. And the church's mission is to ensure that there is that truth proclaimed and preached accurately and correctly so that disciples can be made, uh, disciples are being taught, and the church continues to grow. Um, people are brought in, trained, discipled, sent out, and the same thing happens all over again. Mm-hmm. And part of the way the church has historically done that is to use things like creeds and confessions, where it sets down in black and white for everybody to see and publicly for everybody to know, this is what we say the Bible teaches. This is accurate. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't contradict the Bible. It's not different from the Bible. It's just setting it down in English, plain English, so that it's a useful aid to help with making disciples and to help disciples to be made. Um, that's why you know, Westminster Divines created catechisms. Historically, the church has used catechisms, things like that. Um, you know, from the very earliest, actually, the church, you know, the very early church, um, you could have spent three years being a, what was termed a catechum, catechumen rather, um, where you, you were catechized mm. before you were even allowed to join the church. Okay. So yeah. you, you can imagine that one working out, you know, a three year term by which you, you go through the catechism before you can even take your membership vows. Yeah. We're, we're currently having new members classes the minute in Kings Mills and Jarrett's Pass and um, I think we'll probably stretch to eight weeks um, which is quite long even by PCI standards I think um, so three years wow 
Yeah. Um, I did 10 weeks. <laughs> there you are. That, that, confirms, that confirms your reform credentials over my um, um, I, 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 I was I going to ask, what, what is it then? Is there, I think you're, you're, you're answering this question, even in what you've said. What is it about being a confessional Presbyterian that helps us in mission? Um, and we have the ability easily to pass it on to the next generation that comes. Um, that, that's what a confession allows us to do very, very simply and very easily. It's what it was designed for. Um, the truth is, is the same truth in each age. Um, you know, contrary to what some may want to say uh, about you know, the interpretation of scripture having to change with the times and various things like that, um, the mind of the Holy Spirit, when uh, he gave us the Holy Scriptures, gave us a definitive body of knowledge, a, a definitive word. Yeah. Uh, and that has to be maintained right through all the generations. Um, now, you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, our, our context is different to the context of the first century, you know, the fifth century and so on. Yeah, we're thinking to do. Uh, in terms of what the things that we say, but ultimately, the truth remains the same, as it's revealed in Jesus Christ and and given to us in Scripture, and that must be maintained. So, you know, the creed, the, the confession, the catechisms are ready-made tools given to us to allow us to pass that truth on, make disciples, in other words, yeah, uh, and see it passed on to the next generation coming after us because again the church's mission doesn't change or doesn't finish just with us it keeps going that's good yeah so th this is this is helpful i'm finding this conversation really helpful Fran. Um, Glad hear it. <laughs> what then okay so the reason that i've asked you to talk about this as compared with with anybody else um, and it could have been anybody else, you know, you shouldn't uh, think that you're special. Um, <laughs> you, you're currently the moderator of, of Newry Presbytery. We are part of Newry Presbytery. Um, and so I suppose I wanted to ask you, you're coming to, to the end of that year um, as, as moderator of the presbytery. Like everybody keeps saying to me about my first year in, in Gerald's Pass and Kings Mills, it's not been easy. It's not been an easy year. Um, and it's not been easy uh, to be moderator of the Presbytery this year. Uh, but I'm sure, and I know from previous conversations with you, uh, that you have thought about mission uh, in this part of the world and in the city of Newry in particular. Um, so what could or should mission in a confessional Presbyterian church look like in 21st century Newry? If I, if I asked you to, to dream big, there's a, a, a coin of phrase, um, what could it look like? What should it look like um, it, for today? <laughs> Uh, um, 
I'm only moderator for an hour four days, by the way. <laughs> just in time because we we are free from that, that, free from that burden right now. Uh, oh, wow. I think, first of all, we need to hold our hands up and say there are major challenges for us down here. There's no point in burying our heads in the sand. Um, our context is what it is. And the people who will be watching this, no doubt, know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, we have two communities and we're words apart. Um but the reality of the situation is, is Jesus' command is for us to go. And it doesn't matter what our, who, who these, it doesn't matter who they are, we are to go to them uh, and to seek to make disciples. Um, their view on the constitutional future of Northern Ireland is a temporal matter. It's not an eternal thing. Um, as much as some of us might have very strong views on what the constitutional future <laughs> of Northern Ireland should be, um, it isn't an, it isn't a matter of of eternity it isn't a matter of fundamentally of discipleship um and so we we have to reach across this divide somehow i don't think we have any choice in this matter um the demographic change in this area is such that in most areas down here um the protestant population is in decline uh, moving out. Um, I, I, I literally have lost count of the number of people who you know have had family here and now no, they're no longer here, they're away somewhere else. Um, and, you know, and that rings yeah. true for our folks as well. I mean, that's just not, in, not just in the city of Newry. Yeah, uh, it, it's generally true of this, this entire area down here. Uh, from maybe an exception in a few pockets. Um, but that is the challenge that we have to face. So if we want the church of the Lord Jesus uh, to be able to make disciples down here, um, we don't really have any choice but to grasp this nettle of, of, of going to uh, Roman Catholic people, people who are not of our background, um, and bring in the gospel to them. Um, and I think one of the challenges for us is going to be how, how we make that possible um, and, and be willing to do it, be willing to be servants of people to such an extent that they are willing to come um, and, and, you know, step over the, the hurdles from the other side. Um, but I think this is what we're called to uh, with all its challenges. Um, and this so, is the word that you used earlier on, uh, the word martyr from the New Testament, you know, giving our lives, I think that's what it's going to require. Um, I think it's going to require us to be willing to give up our lives for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. For, to, to serve and love people from, as you say, a community and background that is, that is perhaps not our own. Yeah, and I think the big thing that we need to, to grasp is that it won't be done without the church. Um, you know, the, the lone wolf evangelist, as you 
term with Jamie isn't going to work in Newry. Mm. Um, because if people, by the grace of God, are you know brought to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they need they need a church to go to. Um, and they need a fellowship of people who whom can support them and encourage them in their Christian faith, a place where they can be discipled and and you know if if we're talking specifically about um, you know seeing people from a Roman Catholic background or from you know I'm not necessarily saying practicing Roman Catholic but brought up in that cultural Catholicism yeah. um, that's now very very common uh, in, in in Ireland. Um, you know, part of being a disciple is actually unlearning a whole lot. Mm. You know, it's not just true for, for people coming from cultural Catholicism. It's also true for people coming from, you know, unconverted Protestantism. Yeah. Um, we have to unlearn things as every bit, every bit as much as learning new things. There is repentance. That isn't just an initial repentance of turning to Christ. There's a repentance every day mm. of sinfulness and and obedience to jesus christ and and so there's an unlearning that is part and parcel of being a disciple um and that will bring challenges for the church um uh, yeah yeah, i I mean i think that the challenges are great um i think we should be encouraged as well um as we've spoken about already, um, and, and I hope made clear um, that the burden is not resting on us. Um, it is Jesus Christ who is building his church um, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, and so while the challenge that lies in front of us is great, I think we should also take great hope and encouragement um, that the, the gospel and God's word works and, and does its work and God's word, which he sends forth, does not return to him empty. It accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. And that is very often salvation. Um, and also it can be sent forth for judgment um, and people who reject God's word um, bring that judgment upon themselves um, this is not our work, and I even like in the you know that that word commission. Um, it, it kind of implies that we are on mission with God. You know, we are co-missionaries, joining with God. Um, really, we're 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 just tagging along, and we are being used by God in what He is doing um, in this world. Um, our time is running up, Brian, and uh, I don't want to go on uh, for much longer, but maybe I could ask you just to, as we finish, can you maybe give us some things to pray about? This is for our midweek, and, and we will be having a, a time of prayer uh, after this video. Um, thinking about all of this, how is that going to help shape and change the things that we pray for? Um, uh, well, <clears throat> selfishly, I would like you to pray for Nuri. Um, uh, as the city on our doorstep, um, well, your doorstep, I, I work, supposedly work in it, although we don't live in it. Um, uh, I actually find a really interesting um, 
statistic today that outside of Belfast, uh, this area down here is has the highest um, business development funding um, in any region of Northern Ireland. Yeah. Uh, Newry as a business centre um, and a place to do business, probably, again, the, with everything that's now happening with uh, this lovely new Irish Sea border, all this kind of stuff. Um, but nearly having that access across the land border and in the UK as well. Um, and then with Warren Point, the port just down the road, seems to... Um, it could potentially be up uh, in for... A, uh, it could be a big expansion down here. I don't know, essentially. Um, there's about 29, 30,000 people living in Newry. Um, the vast majority of that, I think it's probably in the region of, of uh, 96% will not be in a Protestant church, not be in a Reformed church or a Presbyterian church um, <clears throat> any given Lord's Day. Uh, you know, all, most of that will be coming um, from a Roman Catholic background, from an Irish nationalist background, um, and increasingly from basically a pagan background. Um, nothing atheistic, agnostic, etc., etc. Uh, so it's a diverse mix of a place, um, but there is a huge, huge need, and. What I would like people to pray for is that we're able to figure out how to be a church that seeks to make disciples, um, see disciples made, see the gospel brought to, to folk in, in the city itself. Mm. Um, again, we know all the barriers and all the hurdles that we can put in the place of that, but essentially that's that's what we're called to do. Um, we we want prayer to be able to say, right, Lord, give us wisdom how we can do that. Yeah. And for God to bless it. Um, I, I, I don't want to minimize the challenge of it because it's huge. Um, and I, I, I mean, it's not in my hands whether or not we succeed. Um, but I think we're called to try and we're called to go. Yeah, as the commission says, um, and uh, I value the prayers of God's people for wisdom for how to do that specifically in Yuri. Um, the other thing um, I'd really like prayer for is is just for for courage, mm. um, courage to to do this. Uh, I, I'm I'm preaching through Matthew's gospel at the minute. And we've come to that section in Matthew 10, actually, where we've been, we've been thinking about mission as well. When Jesus sends out his disciples mm. for the first time uh, on that local mission to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he also talks about you know, broader horizons in the future when he, they're going to be sent out into all the world. Um, and, and, and at the very end of that passage, you know, three times Jesus says, do not, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Um, and of course, the great temptation is always 
to be afraid. The fear of men, the fear of the problems that stand against us, the fear of the opposition, the fear of what people will say, if, you know, all, all those kinds of things. And, and, and as a minister of Angelus, that, that's a real fear for me too. Um, it's not just for, for everybody. Or, you know, I feel those as well as anybody else. Um, and so for courage and, and for, for um, boldness so that we would be able to do this because it needs to be done. Yeah, I I, uh, I remember hearing Gary Miller once say that you know whenever you see something like that repeated uh, in the scripture, you know, do not be afraid. Uh, he said, you know, as he leaves the house every day, he said to his children, "Be good for your mother," and then he would say again, "You know, remember, be good for your mother, or be good for your mother." And he says the reason he repeated it is because he knew that they weren't going to be good for their mother. And Jesus repeats, do not be afraid, because he knows we're going to be afraid. Um, and so a great need of, of prayer for that. That's, that's um, yeah, certainly we will uh, pray for you. Uh, we would ask you and, and the folk in Sandy Street to, to pray for us. Um, and as, as we take on um, this challenge as well, and as we, as we join with you, I mean, we, we are uh, partnered in the gospel. Um, in, in Newry Presbytery and in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland um, as we take on this, this task which has been given to us by God. And maybe I can finish by reminding us then of what Jesus says at the end of that commission uh, in Matthew chapter 28. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so even when we are afraid, uh, we know that we need not be afraid because Christ, the good shepherd, uh, is with us. He is the one who is leading us, and guiding us and tending to us and caring for us um, all along the way uh, as we try and, and, and fulfill uh, this task which he has given to us as, as the church. Uh, Brian, thank yes. you so much. Um, this conversation has gone longer than I uh, anticipated it to go. Um, it may some of it may end up on the cutting room floor, um, but uh, I've certainly found it of, of great benefit, and I know uh, the folks in Kings Mills and Jarrett's Pass will find it of great benefit as well. Um, God bless you. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, Jimmy.